The views expressed on this broadcast of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT and Take12Radio.com are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Welcome to Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder and Monty Meyer. And now, here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. <laughs> I'm chuckling. I'm laughing at what Wade just said. That's that's funny. Welcome, folks, to Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder and the myself, the Monty Man. I was just, just uh, Chris, I was just listening to what Wade had said. Here's those because he made that up. Here's those guys who, who investigate prior to contempt. And I thought, oh, so we investigate and then we have contemption. <laughs> you, you, we look at the facts and then then we get ticked off. I don't know, but folks, welcome. Uh, we we are trying. Uh, we are muddling through, trying to make sense of this thing. And I think we're doing a pretty good job with the help the help of of our Creator because He really is the one uh, that we want to be the mouthpiece for. We don't want to get in His way. Hey, Chris, how you doing, buddy? Great, Monty. Hey, I, it was really a lot of fun spending time with you at the uh, Cape Cod Symposium uh, last weekend. That was a blast. You know, I I, I wish you could have. I wish you could have gotten there to see uh, the guy that did i'm going to be talking about this in future shows uh, folks and we're going to have some some interviews on uh, but uh, the guy that did the fishbowl presentation it was i my gut hurt so bad after watching this guy and i thought and it was all about um a motivation it was all about motivating the client and uh and for those of you out there know what i mean uh, you can say those of us who who have been in recovery and have had to go to treatment for one reason or another, and we were all supposed to be the uh, the client, and uh, he was the uh, the treatment professional, and uh, we were supposed to ask questions and so forth. So we all asked this. We all were told to ask one question, and then he stuck it in this fishbowl, and he actually only answered three of them because he had a, a routine that he did, but it was all mixed up in um, in motivation using comedy, and I'm going to tell you, I mean. It started out where we were asking questions that perhaps a client would ask because we were used to, or in my case, what maybe a guest would ask. And it turned around when we didn't even know it. We were actually the client. You know what I mean? We were asking questions that were from our heart. And he was uh, looking into that. And he was absolutely hilarious. At one point, he came out with a one of those translucent... Uh, Halloween mask, you know, you can see your skin under it, but you can't really tell who you are. And it had, um, if you go to the joke store and you can buy artificial dog poop, and he had a whole bunch of those uh, with elastic strings stapled to this mask, and he come bouncing out and he said, Hey, look at me, I'm a SHI head, you know, <laughs> and, he, and these things were bouncing all over his head, and it just, 
it was like the icebreaker, right? Because none of us knew each other. And from that moment forward, it, it what happened in that in that setting, which was supposed to be a mock-up uh, treatment support group, was incredible. So there was uh, there was things like that going on. We had an opportunity, and listeners, you're going to get to hear this interview. Um, it'll probably be the first one that that we air with uh, the folks from Jerusalem uh, and the treatment. Uh, really, a lot of differences between our treatment procedures and their treatment procedures over there in the Holy Land. Um, just, just remarkable, and just uh, th- three, three very fine individuals, two directors of treatment programs, and uh, the lady that was involved is involved in treatment prevention, and getting her feet wet even more and more with that. So it, a lot, a lot of great. <laughs> and you did, you were doing interviews like from morning to night, weren't you? Videotaping. Oh, I, I probably got about sixteen of them done. I, I, I was, I was holed up like a mole. In my room doing interviews. <laughs> Nobody knew where you were. That's prob- probably a smart thing, though. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was an extra- It was an extraordinary event. I-, I think the Cape Cod Symposium is the best of its kind. They get the top speakers. Every one of the speakers uh, this year that I interviewed, at least, were absolutely phenomenal. You know, these these are people that are that are dedicating their absolute lives and careers to uh, improving the quality of uh, alcoholism and addiction treatment out there. You know, Monty, you, you and I know treatment isn't the answer to everything. I mean, this is not an illness where yeah. you can go put yourself in a 28-day program and then everything's fine and you're perfect. Uh, it, there's, there's a long continuum of participation that you need to maintain to be able to recover from 10 or 20 years worth of alcoholism or 30 or 40. But these, these people really, really have uh, learned about as much as you can possibly learn about preparing somebody for the lifetime journey uh, of recovery. And, you know, the, the best of the best are at Cape Cod, and, and I, it's just, it's an absolute blast, too. It's a lot of fun. It, it, it was, um, <clears throat> you know, my headset went weird. It, it was very eye-opening in, in uh, some of the, uh, the pre- presentations I was able to attend, uh, things I never thought of in a million years. I mean, really. And I got to tell you, I was talking to uh, uh, one of my accountability partners at, at my home group i said you know i learned what i learned this last week is that even with all the areas that we i believe are right on uh when we're talking about the program uh, of uh, the 12-step program of alcoholics anonymous and others um we are we have in the basements of our church buildings we have remained still very blind to the fact that today's science matches up with this big book in ways that we had no idea. It really does. I, I, know, who, I know the person you're talking about. I think it's Al Mooney, mm-hmm. uh, who is a, who, who's a, a doctor, and he yeah. gave a great presentation on what physicians could learn today from the book Alcoholics Anonymous. And I can, I can imagine a room with 100 physicians hearing that statement <laughs> and not, not being too happy about it. Uh, but there was also a really, really great, great uh, clinical psychologist, a Ph.D., who also was giving a similar talk on, uh, on the efficacy of the 12-step recovery model in addiction treatment. And, you know, these are, these are top-level um, these are, these are top professionals who are intuitive enough 
to grasp the the enormity of the recovery process coming out of this book. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the people at the top levels of addiction get this. They just do. They get the power of this book. And some of the other ones who all they've done is go to school where they don't teach the big book and they don't teach spirituality and they don't teach the 12 steps, you know, they may come out and not learn very much after that. Right. Uh, they're not gonna. They're not gonna have that same uh, perspective. Uh, but it, but if you've if you've been around enough and you've uh, you've seen enough recoveries, you're gonna know. Uh, you're gonna know it, it. So many of them, if if not most of them, uh, come from uh, the transformative experience that uh, that you can that you can place yourself through. You know, with God's help uh, from this book. So. You know, we're we're still on the pages as far as uh, the top clinicians. Uh, you know, the doctor's sure. opinion may may be different today than it was in 1939, uh, but the good doctors still have a very very high opinion of what we do. Yeah, I, I heard one of them say if 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 uh, if a treatment professional does not refer you to Alcoholics Anonymous, a sponsor, and a 12-step program, they should be guilty of malpractice. You know, I agree so, with that. So yeah. I, I agree with that too, and you know, there's probably, unfortunately, ninety percent of the doctors out there don't. Uh, but uh, but you know, the the really good ones do. Don't you think that though that that is is really a lot to do with just being ignorant of the twelve step model? I yes, absolutely. I think I think. Uh, I think because to really understand this 12-step model, you need to experience it. In other words, you need to take these these spiritual exercises and uh, and do them. You know, these are steps that we took. Uh, so if you take these steps, and I mean you really take them. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, taking them in your head. I mean, when it says to go out and make amends, get yourself some airline tickets. You know, and start right. start roaming around where where you where you burned all your bridges and making a mess. I mean, the the people that actually experience that level of uh, of the twelve steps are forever adherents to this uh, and supporters of this because sure. they know experientially. When you read the steps up on the wall, uh, you know, if you're at a support group and you see the steps up on the wall and you read them, they don't look very powerful. They don't look like that could possibly be your answer. You know, my answer is a better job and a woman that doesn't yell. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't see any step there that's, that has that. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and the, fact, the fact of the matter is, is these, these things really have to, be, uh, have to be experienced. So, of course, there's going to be a lot of clinicians that don't have any experience with it because maybe they're not an alcoholic or an addict who, who, got, uh, who, who got through the recovery process and it's well step fellowship um, they're they're going to have a different view of it but what i would ask anyone is just just put the, the statistics together uh, uh there's there's a lot of a lot of heavy drinkers and and uh you know drug abusers uh that get clean on their own and go off and have decent lives but the chronic people the people who start showing up in in uh, jails and and emergency rooms and detoxes uh, you look at that particular population, and you make a study of who is recovered, and you find out what they did. You're going to find out that the high majority of them got involved in support fellowships and actually paid attention to the steps. So you know it's not a very very scientific way to do this. You know, you get one one of the things, Monty, that's very very discouraging 
is uh, in in heart uh, heart uh, say heart treatment you know heart um, uh, disease in cancer treatment um, the outcome data what I mean by that is you know they pay attention to the outcomes of the treatment and they've got it down in surgery and things like that to to such a fine the, the data is so granular that uh, that they can tell you. Uh, the survivability of a patient can be improved by a certain type of scalpel. You know, the thing in the, the problem in uh, addictions and drug treatment is there's no way uh, that they've been able to uh, incorporate yet, at least in America, to follow outcomes to that kind of level. Now, once once the industry gets forced into uh, following outcomes to fit in with the rest of the medical establishment, they're going to have to really look at what works and what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait for some of those studies because uh, I'm telling you, if they follow outcomes out one year, five years, ten years, uh, I can almost guarantee what what is going to be in those outcome studies that, that work and and what's not. And uh, I'm gonna, I'd be I'd be willing to bet the farm on the fact that the high majority of people who were in that clinical class of uh, chronic that actually find recovery and put their life back together, I, I, I would be willing to bet the farm that uh, that the high majority is go- are going to have gotten themselves involved with a vital uh, 12-step fellowship. Uh, vital meaning where they actually do the steps instead of talk about them or sure. read them on the wall. Well, it's moving in the right direction, and I think as long as we all stay do stay with those of us who know what it means to be honest, open-minded, willing within the fellowships. If we will do that, and for those that are our advocates that are researching this thing more and more, we'll stay open-minded. Uh, you know, there's there's really no there's no limit to what we can accomplish and how we can we can help each other. And I got to tell you, when it comes to other maladies, um, you know, a lot of it it's still the same hole that's inside that you know that God-shaped hole inside. But I'll tell you, when it comes to the drug and alcohol thing and the codependency and all the things that surround around the fellowships that we're used to, um, <clears throat> I, I don't want to offend anybody, but I'll tell you what, we're ahead of the game versus a lot of people that are struggling out there. I, re- I really, really believe that. Now, we are going to be going into uh, a chapter here. Um, you know, it's funny because I'll listen to a song on the radio, Chris, and I'll say, that's my favorite song. And then an hour later, another one, you know what? That's my favorite song. You know, and you go through and you go, man, I've had so many favorite songs. Well, here we go again as far as <laughs> I'm concerned. Chapter three always stands out to me probably more than any other chapter. Uh, but chapter four in the big book, uh, listeners, is entitled We Agnostics. Now, when I first saw this, uh, I opened up this book, and I was with a friend who was definitely agnostic. He didn't know it. I mean, A means no, Gnosticism, or how, how depending on how you use it, means knowledge. I mean, here we got people that just aren't sure what they believe. And he was of that nature. And he said, all right, this is great. I don't have to believe anything. And then we started to read it. And so, folks, if you've never read this chapter or you have a perception of what this chapter may be about, you may be surprised. But I'll tell you what. This is a chapter in this book that seems to make everything else in this book palatable. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. This this chapter has come alive in many different incarnations for me over the years, Monty. Yeah. Uh, there, there's been a period of times where, where it's really hit me where I am. 
uh, and if you you talk to certain uh, certain religious uh, uh, personalities who are uh, aware of this chapter and have uh, have studied it, will say that you know this is this is the this is the best introduction to uh, uh, to, to a, a reasoning uh, uh, for moving into a relationship with God that they've ever read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, in in many many churches, uh, I you know, in many many churches, the 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 pastors of the churches see the real uh, the real stuff going on down in the basement, where people are being converted and wake, waking up their spirit and uh, returning uh, to a path toward God. They, they see that going on in the basement. So that's why so many twelve-step support groups are, are supported by churches. They know what's going on. These these ministers, pastors, and priests. Yeah. And and they want to they want to support it. They understand that they have to kind of stay out of it, but they want to support it because uh, you know. Those groups are converting more people than uh, they are upstairs, right? And uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a wonderful uh, wonderful thing to see. Yeah, absolutely. So on with this chapter, uh, chapter four. We agnostics in the fourth edition of the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay, let's start with uh, the title. We agnostics. Uh, I, I've always uh, I've always seen it uh, as being very interesting that it's not called the chapter to the agnostic. Mm-hmm. It says we agnostics. Mm-hmm. That leads me to believe that anyone moving into this work is agnostic. Now, I want to, I want to, uh, I want to define the way I mean that because okay. some people will be horrified, like they've been going to church for twenty years and they finally uh, get into uh, to AA or something, and you know they're not going to want to be called agnostic. But uh, but agnostic goes back uh, the the root uh, uh, the root word origin is is is. Ag and gnosis. That's uh, that's where agnostic came from. Ag means without, and gnosis means knowledge. Right. So ag- agnosticism is basically not having knowledge of God. It's not not believing in God. It's not it's not knowing. You know. Yeah, like, you're just I not sure. You don't know. Yeah. If there's a God. That that would be an agnostic. Now, an atheist would be, there is no God, and they're going to argue with you. Right. An agnostic is, is someone who hasn't really hasn't really engaged in the argument. They just don't have any personal mm-hmm. knowledge of God, or haven't gotten deeply enough involved in uh, in in the quest for uh, for truth, or uh, you know, or or God that that they need to to become convinced. Now, I believe. Uh, I believe, to a degree, we all suffer from uh, agnosticism at some level. I think you're right. I never uh, thought but, about but, that, but yeah, yeah, I think you're right. What I mean by that is, uh, I've, I do a lot of uh, step work with people, you know, from all different, uh, different, you know, they have different problems and they they're in different support groups. But I do a lot of step work with people, and I challenge them on what is your current agnosticism, and they don't, they don't know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Basically, your current agnosticism is this. Uh, um, I'm just going to hypothetically use you, Monty. Okay. If you know that God removed the obsession to drink. Yep. You know that God has really helped with your your uh, your character defects and is is there for you in many many ways. But are you absolutely certain that God is going to provide for you financially? Emotional? Are the right relationships going to come, or do you have to take over those roles? You know, I, I, I'm I'm close to New York City, so I sponsor a lot of hotshot money managers and stuff. And 
these guys, uh, these guys are animals. You know, they're on the trading floors and stuff, and they're animals. And they get, and they they come in and they go, you know, how how in the world am I going to live live spiritual principles in my work? You know, I can't do that. Well, that would be current agnosticism. That would be not believing that God can take you to a better place. That, I, that yeah. They don't have the knowledge or the belief that God can run uh, their Wall Street trading career or that God can provide, uh, you know, the girlfriends that they may want. You know? So that's, that's kind of uh, my take on on agnosticism i i believe i I don't think that any of us can admit that we have zero agnosticism we're always going to have a little bit of yeah in certain areas of our life and i think that's normal and natural and i think i think god expects it to be honest yeah and you know i got i gotta say you're absolutely correct i never thought of it until you brought that up i never thought at the very least we go in and out of that I mean, it's like, you know, when, when all the finances to pay the, the, the lease on the building, when all this is there and everything else, well, obviously God's providing. But when you, you're in the middle of nowhere and your tire goes flat and your f- cell phone's dead, and, you know, and you're on, on the way to Lancaster in the middle of Mojave Desert, all of a sudden, you are very agnostic. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. It, it, it's, it's true. And, uh, and again... You know, there's Christian roots in AA. Uh, we, we we know about how AA started, and it, it's it's basically based on a lot of uh, New Testament uh, theology and spirituality. Uh-huh. You know, uh, for the last 15 years or so, Monty, I've uh, I've studied uh, I've studied Jesus basically. I mean, uh, I've done historical critical studies. I've done devotional studies. I've I've read two or three hundred books. Uh, I be- I believe uh, very very deeply that. Um, uh, that 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 so many answers lie in uh, the direction that he pointed us in, mm-hmm. and one of the one of the things that uh, that he basically told his disciples. Now I don't I don't know that this basically relates to every single person out there in the world. Sure, but the people who wanted to follow him closely, he told them, "Don't have any money, only have a certain amount of clothes. Expect God to provide uh, your food and your shelter. Don't worry about it." Now, who among us, Monty, doesn't worry about our money and our shelter on a daily basis? Absolutely. Probably the biggest thing we do worry about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm telling you. So we, I believe we all have a little bit of agnosticism. Absolutely. But I think it's natural. It, it's, I'm not saying it's bad. Uh, I'm saying that where, where it involves the, our recovery from alcoholism or drug addiction, we need to be very, very careful we don't agnosticize ourselves Right out, right back out into the alley. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to go home today, though, after work, and say, "Hey, honey, I'm agnostic." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll go over big. Uh, yeah, Chris told but, me so. Anyway, <laughs> let, let me start reading. All right. I think one of the most important paragraphs in the book is the paragraph that I'm going to read. It's the first paragraph in uh-huh. We Agnostics. In the preceding chapters, you have learned something of alcoholism. Uh, that's uh, more about alcoholism, and there is a solution. We hope we have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. They were very, very interested in understanding the difference between the heavy or hard drinker and the alcoholic money. That's something that nobody does in the support groups anymore. But i got to tell you, you go back to the origins of, of AA, 
and they had people that would qualify you, and they had bouncers at the door. <laughs> you know what I mean? They did not want uh, they did not want anyone uh, walking into the meeting unless uh, they were they were considered of the hopeless variety. I think cooler heads have prevailed over the years, and we've talked about this before. I think it's very important for people who have problems with alcohol. Uh, who, who are, uh, you know, alcohol abusers. I, we, we all want people to get better and not cause trouble in their lives. But as far as the Alcoholics Anonymous process, in the early days, it, it was for the chronic alcoholics and everybody else. Uh, they basically told them, don't let the door hit you in the butt. Well, Chris, let me ask you this. How did they measure? How did they come? What was their their measuring stick to tell whether they felt you were truly alcoholic or just a heavy drinker? Well, Okay, let's just take Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson and how they operated in Akron uh, from, say, 35 to, to, to 38 or so. Okay. They would get a prospect, and they would talk to them, and they would get an idea of their situation. They would make sure the person wants to get over it, and, uh, and then they would place them in the hospital. In the hospital, they would send in... It would either be it would be Dr. Bob and and Bill and then Bill Dotson. As the team started to expand, they would start to send uh, send these guys in uh, to tell their story and to listen to the alcoholic tell their story. Uh-huh. So basically, basically the individual's been qualified by the whole group before uh, before they're uh, they're engaged in the step process. They're engaged in the step process, and after they're firmly engaged in the step process, then they can go to meetings. They weren't allowed to just walk into meetings like you are today. Mm-hmm. You had to be you had to be well on your way into the steps to be considered uh, to have an honest desire to stop drinking. To really mean business mm-hmm. is the language they talk about in this book. And they weren't interested in people who didn't really mean business. So uh, so by the time they got to the meetings, not only had they been fully qualified, but they'd been engaged in step work. They were probably on their amends. You know, so so that's how they handled it in the first ten or fifteen years. You know, there's there's different stories from different people, different groups did it different ways, but you know that's that's the Akron genesis. That's mm-hmm. basically how uh, they started to do it. Interesting. If when you here here's the the most critical sentence I think for identification purposes uh, on am I an alcoholic? Okay. Okay. Here's what it says. If, when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if, when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. Okay. Let's look at those two statements. If, when you honestly want to, we're we're not talking about, I better quit drinking, you know, or I'm going to quit for Lent. We're talking about it's really causing problems in your life, and you really, really want at least at certain periods of time, you really, really want to separate from alcohol, and you find you can't. That's my experience. The last two years of my drinking, I was desperate to get away from alcohol and got drunk every night anyway. Or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take. So once you start drinking, you don't have any control. You usually get drunk every time you drink, unless, you know, something stops you. Um, You are probably alcoholic. Now, the only word I think I would change in this book, Monty, is the excuse me, is the or. Let's look at this. If when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably alcoholic. You have to have both. And let me explain why. It says or, but it, but it should be and. Now, if 
if you honestly wanted to quit drinking and couldn't, but didn't have the physical allergy, right? the next time you have to drink, just drink one. Okay, but you, yeah. we know that doesn't happen. All right, let's say you have the, the physical allergy or the craving, but you don't have the obsession. Okay, just never pick up a drink. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, But the yeah. alcoholic is trapped with both of these things. They can't stay away from a drink, and they can't control it once they start. And that's what an alcoholic is. Okay? The one thing I worry about when I'm working with somebody is if it's the first time they ever tried to quit. Let's say a huge debacle happened in the family or at work or they got a DUI and they said, I'm quitting, and they quit. And it's the first time they ever even tried. How do you know if they're an alcoholic or they're just doing it on their own willpower? Uh huh. Then you have to go back in the chapter where it says, if, if you aren't sure you get the mental obsession, try leaving drink alone for a year. If you're alcoholic, you won't be able to. So that, that's an issue I have with new people who honestly tell me this is the first time they've tried to quit drinking. I, I don't know what to do with them except tell them, go away, try to quit for a year on your own. If, if you find that you're drinking really, and you didn't really want to, you made a commitment not to, you know, then we can talk. Then, then, then you're, showing, uh, you're showing signs of, of alcoholism. Now, you, let, let's make sure that the listeners understand that's not the same thing as saying, saying to somebody, go out and get drunk. That's not what we're saying. Well, uh, what, what are, are we? I mean, what, what, no, it, it, it basically says in the chapter, um, uh, try leaving drink alone. If you're not sure you have the mental obsession, try leaving drink alone for a year. If you can't do it, it's it's worth a case of the jitters to get full knowledge of your condition. Then you're going to come back, and you're going to know you're in trouble, and you're going to do what you right, need to do. Right. If and, you're not sure you're in trouble, or if you think that you've just stopped because you have good willpower, why are you going to get involved in all these steps and everything? Sure. And I, I, th- I think what people misunderstand is I think they, they think we're suggesting that the person, uh, if, if you're not sure, go out, and, to go out and drink. What we're saying is that if you're not sure, try not drinking anymore. Well, you right? know, the one place in the book where it tells you to, to go ahead and, and, and drink is if you're not sure you have the physical allergy. The allergy, right. Okay, if you're not sure that one drink insists on the second, the second demands the third, and every single time you get drunk, if that's not your experience, there's a test for that. That's really the only way you can. What you don't want to do, really, what you don't want to do is you don't want to work with people as as a as a spiritual advisor or a sponsor. You don't want to work with people that don't need to be worked with. You need to work with the people who are in real trouble. They're sick. Yeah. Uh, There are people that are dying. Why work with people who can quit on their own? You know. So so there's a there's a qualification that really needs to be met for 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 me to have ever engaged in in step work. if, they, if when they honestly wanted to, they found they couldn't quit, and if when drinking or using drugs they had little control over the mouth they took, that's that. I'm with you. I'm I'm working with you, but I need but I need to be sure of that because uh, because there's just so many people today that wander in because you know the cookies and the coffee are good, and uh, and you're not supposed to waste your time with people who don't mean business and don't need you to help them. Your time is too precious. Right. And there's a lot of people that walk in because other people have diagnosed them and said, you are an alcoholic. 
Yeah, and they sure. don't even uh, know that's uh, true or you not. Know, well-meaning uh, but uninformed professionals. Yeah, uh, sure. That happens a lot. And listen, I'm not say, I'm not excluding anybody from any meetings. Sure. No, no one is no one is the the police these days. There's a there's a third tradition uh, that basically states anybody that that will you know admit to alcoholism in a, in, a, in a closed meeting is supposed to you know be allowed in. It's not about exclusion. It's about whether or not I'm going to work with you. Gotcha. Okay, I, I need to make that very clear. Gotcha. Because my time, my time is precious, and and I'm going by the book. I'm just going by the book. This is not my opinion. This right. is what these things are. What the book tells me to do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so anybody that gets angry and sends you emails, uh, tell them they're not arguing with Chris and Monty. They're arguing with the text, the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous. Anyway. Yeah. Understandably. Okay. Okay. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Now, that's a powerful line. Yeah. Okay, if you can't stay away from booze on your own unaided will, and if when drinking you have little or or no control over the amount you take, you may be suffering from uh, an illness. They don't call it a disease in the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. I kind of like that. Uh, An illness nobody can argue with. You're definitely ill. Yeah. Uh, Disease, uh, there's a lot of controversy still on disease, even though the American Medical Association uh, has said it's a disease. Uh, You know, rather than get get engaged in the controversy, illness is a, a a good thing to call it. But you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience can conquer. Now, that's not always good news, to hear. <laughs> no. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, like, no, yeah. no, I want to go to a doctor. No, there's, there's a hospital treatment program. No, if, you, if you're chronic, if you've honestly tried to quit drinking a multitude of times and found you couldn't, if every time you start drinking you get the craving and get drunk, that usually has placed you beyond human aid. And only spiritual aid has been found to work. Mm-hmm. Now, this, this is like a non-scientific thing. You know, uh, <laughs> so many people misunderstand this and don't understand it. And what's this God stuff and all this other uh, other stuff? Oh, gee, blah, blah, blah. You know, the fact of the matter is, is you can be very scientific about this. Okay, uh-huh. you can you can document all the ways you tried to quit and failed, and then when you get involved in the twelve-step program, document your way through the steps, but take every one of them. Mm-hmm. And you can you can document the scientific accuracy of the statements that this thing works, you know, uh, uh, because rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed this spiritual path. So the doubters and and the people who don't understand this God stuff and you know the old timers and the support groups that I can't I, I don't you know all those guys. Uh, they, so many of them are going to be heavy drink, hard drinkers, and, and not really alcoholics anyway. Yeah. But uh, but if but for the doubters and the people that don't believe, turn it into a science experiment. Challenge yourself. Okay, I'll go through the steps. I'll document the whole process, and we will we will see if this spiritual thing works. Mm-hmm. You know, fine. It, it's a great news. <laughs> it will. And and when you get to the other side, you're gonna you're gonna understand it. Does that make any sense? That, ma- that makes total sense. But you've got to do it the way it's laid out. You can't be cheating. Yeah, it's, yeah. this is not a cafeteria. This is not. Uh, this is not a uh, a program of suggestions. It's a suggested, suggested program. Program. Right? Yeah. To one who feels he is an atheist or agnostic, such an experience seems impossible. But to continue as he is means disaster, especially if he is an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. 
To be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live life on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. You know, there's two doors. There's, there's dying an alcoholic death. There's living along spiritual lines. And you've got your prospect, uh, and you're standing there, and you're showing them the two doors. Over here is, is the alcoholic death, and over here is the spiritual life. And usually, the, the, usually your prospect will go, tell me a little bit more about that alcoholic death. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's like it's like the spiritual life is not a wonderful news to to people who uh, who are suffering from alcoholism. They they see it as so far away from their experience and and their personality and their their behavior as to be too elusive to be helpful. But uh, but that you and I know that's that's not the case. But it isn't so difficult. About half our original fellowship were of exactly that type. At first, some of us tried to avoid the issue, hoping against hope we were not true alcoholic. But after a while, we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. Perhaps it is going to be that way with you. But cheer up. Something like half of us thought we were atheists or agnostics. Our experience shows that you need not be disconcerted. Now, this is another important part that really only dawned on me about the hundredth time to this book. If a mere code of morals or better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago. Okay, so a code of morals or a, a, a philosophy or a theology of life is not enough. In other words, I know how to live. I've read the Ten Commandments. I've read the Sermon on the Mount. I try to live by those those rules. Uh, I go to church all the time. That is not going to be enough. That's intellectual. That's not experiential. But we found that such codes and philosophies did not save us, no matter how much we tried. We could wish to be moral, we could wish to be philosophically comforted, in fact, we could will these things with all our might, but the needed power wasn't there. Let's look at a better philosophy of life. Let's look at the big book. Okay, we've read the big book. Is that going to keep us sober reading it? Nope. Because that's a philosophy until you turn it into an experience. And, and let, me, let me interject here. This is so important because I've had uh, members of my particular church even ask, well, are you saying that... that our Christian faith wasn't enough. I said, it's not what I'm saying. And then I read this part over to them again. I said, if I'm going to church, if I'm just going to church, and if I'm just reading my Bible, or if I'm just reading my big book, and I'm just going to meet, if, if it's all just this mechanical thing that I'm doing, and there is never a personal relationship with this power, this spiritual, this change that happens, all that stuff becomes, and I hate to say it, it becomes not a half measure, it becomes worthless to me. Absolutely without any merit, because all I'm doing is going through some sort of motion. And that's what I did when I drank, Chris. We need, we need a vital, uh, a vital conversion experience. Yeah. You know, I'm, 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 uh, you know, I'm, I'm mentioning uh, Jesus a lot today, and I'm going to mention him again. Uh, you know, he's sitting around with his disciples, and all of a sudden children run up, and the disciples are trying to shoo the kids away because he's talking. And he says, no, no, let, let the children come to me. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, if you don't have this type of attitude that these children have, you may not, you may not achieve the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you know, I believe, I believe that we have to develop a relationship with God like we are 
children and that we need protection and we need direction and you know we need help and sometimes that's not what you're going to get in a contemporary church you know you're going to get really good uh uh, lessons you know really good sermons and you know there's going to be a lot of social activity and, and stuff like that but but i mean what we need is you know we're in real trouble as alcoholics we need we we need to understand our defeat and move toward God with a humility, just a, an utter, utter humility that we are, you know, we're, we're done. We're, we're not going to make it without a vital experience that only God can provide. Yeah. Um, our human, here we go. We could wish to be moral. We could wish to be philosophically comforted. In fact, we could will these things with our might, but the needed power wasn't there. The power to stay sober. Our human resources, as marshaled by the will, were not sufficient. They failed utterly. Our human resources are our willpower, our knowledge, our experience. All all of those things are human resources, and they're not going to be enough. You hear a lot of things in support groups could keep your memory green. You know, uh, there's there's a whole series of one-liners that that sound like they're handing you the responsibility for making a decision not to drink. Now, if you're an unrecovered alcoholic, you don't have access to that decision. You're, you lack power, choice, and control. You, you are going to drink, and you're going to wonder why you drank. And if somebody's been handing you those one-liners, kid, just don't drink no matter what. You know, keep, you know, uh, just remember the, remember the last drug. Keep the memory green. If that's all that you've heard, you're going to think that you have failed, and this is not going to work for you. And that's not the case. That's not the case. A lot of times there's, there's no experienced group members to, 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 to lead you down this path because many times they've not been down this path. So I'm telling you, if you're listening to this and you've been struggling in and out, in and out, in and out, and you think you're a failure, you might, you know, you might not have done it right, okay? And it, and it might not be even your fault that you haven't done it right. You might have been, uh, you know, when the blind lead the blind, what happens? Yeah, you bump into stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so here it is. Lack of power, that was our dilemma. Uh, okay, your dilemma as an alcoholic is lack of power. Now think about this. If I had the power to not drink, or if I had the power to drink responsibly, I'd be okay. Yeah. If, you know, as far as acute alcoholism is right. concerned, or at least I think I'd be okay. Lack of power. You don't have the power to do that. You're powerless. Uh, to, when you admit in the first step that you're powerless over alcohol, alcohol, listen, powerless is powerless. If there's anything you can do, then you're not really powerless, are you? Just just do that thing. Right. But the fact of the matter is nothing works for us. Mm-hmm. So nothing works for us. We do, Sometimes we stay sober a month. Sometimes we stay sober a year. But we're always always drinking again. You know, lack of power is our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. Obviously, but where and how were we to find this power? This is, uh, this is a, great, um, uh, a great statement about what this book is about. Well, that's exactly what this book is about, how to find that power, how and where to find that power. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. That means we have written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. And it means, of course, that we're going to talk about God. 
Here, difficulty arises with agnostics. Many times we talk to a new man and watch his hope rise as we discuss his alcoholic problems and explain our fellowship. But his face falls when we speak of spiritual matters, especially when we mention God. For we have reopened a subject which our man thought he had neatly evaded or entirely ignored. We know how he feels. I think most of us do. Sure we do. We we have shared his honest doubt and prejudice. Some of us have been violently anti-religious. That that was me, like like Monty in 1989. That was the time when um, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker were were selling, you know, five thousand heavenly right. condos, and they only had two thousand, and they were pocketing the money. and And Jimmy Schwaggart was running around calling everybody a sinner, and he was being caught in the, yeah. the Texas motel with the prostitutes. You yeah, know? and all this was in the news. And, I, and and you know, I'm at the end of my drinking, and I'm thinking, you know, if 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 that's if that's God's front three. I'm going to give this whole thing a pass, <laughs> you know. I mean, I had I had unbelievable prejudice. I thought I thought you know I need that hypocrisy like I need a hole in the head. But but you know that type of prejudice. Uh, this book asks you to set it aside. It, it doesn't even say to get rid of it. It says we beg of you to set aside that prejudice because you can allow that type of prejudice to kill you. If something interferes with you engaging in this process and you're a real alcoholic, you can die because of your prejudice. Mm -hmm. So the only place I know in this book where it begs you to do something, it's to set aside the the prejudice against organized religion and other spiritual matters. And, you know, it was a slow process for me, but but I had to do it or or I wouldn't make it. Now I see see churches and and congregations and... uh, you know, religion and everything in a very, very positive light. There's much more good going on than there is bad. But as an alcoholic, what you know, what happens is you focus on the things that sure. you, know, you focus on. And we blame we blame when we're when when we've got an illness like this, we blame God for things that man does. When we are getting better and as we're recovering, we recognize, wait a minute, what man does and what God does many times are totally on the opposite side of the scale. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we and, and, you know, I was relating these specific religious leaders to religion itself yeah. and to uh, to the type of relationship with God that they said I needed to have. And it was such an unbelievable turnoff uh, for, for me, and I'm sure millions of other people who saw this stuff on the news, that it was very, very bad. But, you know, I, I, I believe uh, I believe that, you know, the free will that God granted us because he loves us, uh, has enabled mankind to do all kinds of uh, stupid and horrific <laughs> yeah. things. And, you know, but uh, I also believe, on the other hand, that if we align ourselves with God's will and with spiritual principles, uh, that we can, we can <clears throat> you know, that doesn't mean necessarily bad things are not going to happen to us. It just means that we're going we're gonna to have less uh, turbulence in our life and we're going you know, to have uh, a happiness. And I think our sure. destiny is to learn to be compassionate and charitable to other people. I think that's, that's tied into our destiny. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, you know, uh, certainly organized religion uh, at its best does that and helps with that. And uh, uh, there's a lot of people that get spiritual direction from, uh, from people in, in religion. You know, in, in the back of this book, it basically says, you know, go see priest, ministers, rabbis. Ask them for a book. Ask them for help. Ask them for some spiritual direction. Do your fist step with them. I mean, you know, th- this this book is very very quick to point us toward uh, toward the professionals, uh, toward the spiritual professionals. Mm-hmm. Now, we know how he feels. Um, we have shared his honest doubt and prejudice. 
Felonus has been uh, violently anti-religious. To others, the word God brought up a particular idea of him with which someone had tried to impress them during childhood. Perhaps we rejected this particular conception because it seemed inadequate. With that rejection, we imagined we had abandoned the God ideal entirely. From my personal experience, Monty, uh, my, my father died three days into my 12th birthday. Wow. And my mother was busy. She didn't really have a lot of time for me. Uh, she was working full-time, and, you know, uh, I, was, I, was, I started to become a troublemaker. At 12, I started to become delinquent. You know, I didn't have a father who, who, would, who would kick me in the tail. So, um, so what happened is I started, to, I started to get involved in juvenile delinquency. Now, up until that period of time, I had a conception of God like a heavenly father up there on the throne looking down and, you know, protecting me and, and uh, you, know, you know, keeping track of the things that I do. And, you know, it was one of, those, one of those, uh, uh, those type of gods that Sunday school will sometimes teach you, yeah. uh, especially back in the 50s and 60s. But when my father died, I thought, what kind of a horrible God would allow me to lose my father? I just turned 12. And then I started getting involved in juvenile delinquency. Now, now that's when the God idea started to separate from my consciousness. It was inconvenient for me to have uh, the thought of a creator or a divine being uh, watching over me or keeping track of what I was doing, because I was doing what, what I wanted to do, Monty. I was doing what I wanted to do. I was getting involved in drugs and alcohol and everything else. But I'll tell you what, the, the last day of my detox, I was so hopeless, so desperate, I cried out to that God, the God that I had when I was 11, uh -huh. to help me. Now, now, my conception of God has changed over the last 20 years. Uh, I've done a huge amount of study in, in religion, spirituality, and it, it's, changed, uh, it's changed away, away from, uh, you, you know, it, it's, become, it's, it's become a verb as well as a noun to me now. Would you, you, know, would God, you say, God is a power. Would you say uh, that your conception of the same God has changed? Absolutely. So you're saying it's the same God, absolutely. but your perception, your perception, because you've learned and, you know, more. It's, it's more of a healthy, personal type of there relationship, and I see God yeah. in everything today. Yeah. He's not up in the clouds, like like judging me and keeping track of my stuff. He's engaged in, he's engaged with me uh, in, in everything that I do and in everything that I'm a part of. You that know, is it's so more cool. Of a personal <laughs> relationship. That is so cool, and that I think really down deep inside. When you really strip away all the prejudices and the pains and the experiences, most of us, that's what we want. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's comfort. There's comfort in that. And I think we're, we were all looking for comfort in booze and drugs. And I think ultimately our comfort is going to come from a relationship with God. Yep. With that rejection, we imagined we had abandoned the God idea entirely. We were bothered with the thought that faith and a dependence upon a power beyond ourselves was somewhat weak, even cowardly. We looked upon this world of warring individuals, warring theological systems, and inexplicable calamity with deep skepticism. We looked askance at many individuals who claimed to be godly. How could a supreme being have anything to do with it at all? And who could comprehend a supreme being anyhow? Yet in other moments we found ourselves thinking, when enchanted by a starlit night, who then made all this? There was a feeling of awe and wonder, but it was fleeting and soon lost. I've had those feelings also, Monty. Monty, we're going through this this chapter pretty slow. That's okay. And it's probably going to take us three weeks, if that's all right with you, because this is such a an, an important chapter. But I've had the yeah. feelings that he's talking about here. Yeah. You know, uh, we, we found ourselves enchanted, uh, a feeling of wonder and awe. I've been at, at, at places like that. And, 
you know, recently I've been studying. Um, uh, I've been studying the origin of the universe in physics, and there's a bunch of scientists. I'm talking about you know the real Nobel laureate, laureate type uh, physicists who who uh, who are studying the origin of the Big Bang. You know, uh, mo- almost all scientists believe today that the Big Bang uh, started the universe some 16 billion years ago, or whatever. Uh, they all believe that. But but what these scientists are are, are trying to figure out is the the, the particle physics of it. And the only thing they can come up with, they, they can't say that matter, uh, 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 matter uh, became matter out of nothing. That doesn't make any sense. In other words, the, the universe wasn't here and now it's here. It just, it, it just manifested out of nothing. That doesn't make any sense. So what a lot of them are believing is that the universe began because of the idea of God. And the more they study these subatomic uh, particles, and the more they understand about uh, the cosmology of the universe, the more they believe that this this couldn't just have happened. It, there has to be a divine purpose to it. Mm-hmm. You know, so even even the scientific people who want to want to want to just believe in science, when it gets down to the facts, there are questions they are never going to answer. And believe it or not, the most logical answer, scientifically logical answer, is uh, is that there was uh, there was a process behind the creation of the universe. And I've got to I believe God has been intimately involved with it ever since. Yes, That's and I've got I've got inter- I've got to interject because this is so important. It's really interesting. There is. Uh, and I don't want to get off course, but I do want to share this. There's an organization called the Institute for Creation Research. I don't know if you've ever heard about them or not. No. Um, but what they've done is, and I've seen their presentation many times, and it is so incredible. And what they've done is they've said, in many ways, science as we've known for years growing up wasn't really scientific. And yet today, when you look at the universe being created by a creator, it actually fits in science like hand in glove today. And scientists, like you were saying, they, they are recognizing, wait a minute, this stuff fits. There's a convergence between yes. high-level um, physics and, uh, and uh, um, uh, theological studies, the, you know, the, the study of, uh, of God. It's converging back again. Yeah. For you know, the last 200 years or so, it might have been going in the opposite direction, but... Uh, but I, you know, these, these people who've spent their entire lives as physicists and researchers are starting to ask themselves the ultimate questions, which, which are why? Why mm-hmm. is all this? And the only the only answer they can come to is it had to come from an idea. It just couldn't have manifested, you know, out of the blue. So. Um, so it's it's very interesting. Yeah, very interesting but, stuff. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. We we looked askance at many individuals who claim to be godly. Uh, okay. Yes, we of agnostic temperament have had these thoughts and experiences. Let us make haste to reassure you. We found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results. Even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God, so you need to get to willingness. If if you can't get to willingness, you're in trouble. One of the things that the twelve step support groups uh, uh, try to uh, uh, don't try to tell you 
is what type of a God to believe in. But you know what they do tell you? If you don't get a relationship with God, you're going to die. Right. That's what they tell you. You read in, in, in Dr. Bob's story in the back of the book, he goes, if you don't believe in God, I feel sorry for you. That's what he says. I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for you because your suffering is going to continue and you're going to die. You know, uh, that's really what these people uh, believed. They believed that the only way out was through a relationship with God and a life on spiritual lines. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't just it wasn't just a relationship with a quote unquote higher power either, because I think we throw that word around a lot. Um, but there's a lot of th- well, there's a lot of things that are a power greater than me, you know that aren't. Yeah, the- you know um, what what happened in the beginning, and you know uh, uh, Dick B, your 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 buddy, could talk on this a lot better than me. But what happened on the beginning is the original manuscript was put together of this book, and then it was sent out to people of religion, uh, psychiatry, uh, uh, you know, medical people, and uh, editors, and it, and it came back with a lot of suggestions. And, you know, some of the suggestions were, Bill, you need to tone this down. You're saying you need to, you need to. Why don't you say, we did, we did. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they counted how many times God was, uh, God was put in this. And, and, and they go, look, you know, you might, be, you might actually be scaring people off uh, by, by, by doing this. Why, why, don't you, why don't you make it a little, little easier to digest for some people? Uh, you know, and hopefully they'll, you know, that'll get him in the door. And so he made allowances and he put, uh, uh, God, uh, you know, uh, power greater than yourself, God as you understand him. He, he did a lot of that. But, you know, there's, there's really no doubt that the early uh, AAs uh, had a fundamental um, uh, monotheistic uh, outlook on God. Now, even in the early days, in the first uh Ten or fifteen years, there, there were there were Jewish people, so it wasn't in AA, so it wasn't all Christians, right? But I will tell you this: it was all monotheistic, yes. uh, believing people, right? Right, because in the Christian doctrine and, and the Jewish doctrine, the Heavenly Father is still the same guy. Yes, Abraham is yeah. the father of all yeah. of us. Yeah. You, know? you bet. Uh, is, is basically you know God yeah. fell in love with Abraham and Sarah. And, uh, and, you know, he started to really pay attention to humankind. If you follow the, the Genesis, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> the, the Genesis through the, the rest of the five books in the beginning of the Bible. And I, and I don't want to sound patronized. I really, this is not my purpose, is to sound patronizing to those who might be offended by this statement. Because you, you and I have some friends that, that don't like this. But, but I believe, I really truly believe that when a person... Because I believe these steps are, are ordained by the Creator. I really do. Um, and in believing that, I believe if a person will, with that open mind, with that those preconceived ideas, uh, you know, not there, and that open mind being active and willing, that if they will apply and implement these steps in their daily lives by direction of somebody who is doing that the way it was written, that we're, what we're going through, I believe that God in all his glory and magnificence, will reveal himself to them in, 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 in the ultimate uh, of truth. I really believe that will happen. Um, I've seen it happen in so many people's lives, and I don't think we have to argue about who it is in meetings. I think God will take care of that. You know, some of the statements to back up what you just said, Monty, are, you know, God does not make too hard terms for those who want him. 
Yeah. And, and uh, you know, the, the hoop that you have to jump through is larger than you think. That's from, like, like step two in the 12 and 12. You know, so ab- absolutely, you, you start where you are. You start where you are, and and if you're you're if you're a, a, a an atheist or you know just totally agnostic or have have any you know never raised with the idea of God, well you can start there. All yeah. you need to do is be is be willing sure. uh, to be open to this. I know people who've come to a relationship with God in step two. I've known people that have come to a relationship with God in step three. I've known them to come to a relationship with God in step five. I've known for, I've known people who came to a relationship with God in step nine. 10, 11, and I've even known people who had to start working with other people, Monty, yeah. before they started to get a real belief in God. You know, you, you, you take these steps as if there's a God, if you don't believe in God, and God will be revealed to you. Yeah. And each of us has our own personal, uh, personal journey and experience. Yeah. We are out of time. I can't believe it. This has been fun. Monty, I really enjoy uh, doing this. I don't think I've ever had time to really, you know, really get involved in this kind of detail uh, with this book. And, and I'm in love with this book. And so offering me this opportunity has been just great. Oh, it, it is it is just so cool every time. And I, I, uh, I, I pass this on to, to several people and... I like I said, I hear a lot of folks say the same thing. I never thought of that. I did not know that. People that have have been sponsored for years, it's just it's one thing to read something and it's a whole other thing to read it while somebody is reading it. There's a big difference. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah, and I think that God is guiding this thing and um of course like I say every week, I I so appreciate your heart, and as long as as both of us, and I tell this to all the listeners out there too, listen to this: as long as we will be willing to step out of God's way and let God work through us, I believe truth becomes uh, obvious. I really do. So there. <laughs> all right, Monty, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, I'll see you next week. All right, my friend, you have a good one. Um, I'm off to San Jose tomorrow for the Recovery Fest 2009 in uh, in. Uh, Beautiful Las Gatos, Oregon, hippie country, and which was so funny because it's my old stomping grounds uh, in the middle of my dysfunction. And I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna be, we'll have a booth there at that event. And what's so cool is, 30 years ago, two buddies, two brothers of mine, who were we were drinking buddies. This is before it really bit us in the rear. We were just having a good time. Who are now clean and sober, have a, a great relationship with God, live in Colorado. We're all gonna meet there. And the and the festival is in the last place we drank together, Vasona Park. Isn't that something? Unbelievable. <laughs> so it's going to be great stuff. Chris, thank you, my friend. You have a good week. All right. Take care, Monty. All right, my friend. Folks, I don't know why my mouse isn't working, but it's not. Uh, listen, folks, don't forget to uh, tune in next week when, once again, we walk through the big book. Check out all the other shows as well. Go to The Afflicted and Affected. You can follow the link and listen to uh, other shows that Chris has been doing. For weeks now. Until our next show, this is the Monty Man and Chris Schroeder and wishing God's perfect serenity for you. Bye-bye. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. <laughs>